It is so good to be with all of you today. My name is Matt. I'm the, I have the privilege, the incredible privilege, to lead our student ministry here at River Ridge. And if we haven't met yet, I would love to sit down and talk to each and every one of you. Just by, just by showing of hands, how many students, sixth grade through 12th grade, do we have in the room? Anybody, yeah, yeah? What about parents, guardians, people with students in their house? Yeah, oh yeah. Man, I would love, <laughs> I'm an extrovert. I would love nothing more than to sit down and talk to each one of you, get to know you, tell you a little bit more about why we do what we do. Because here at River Ridge, we really do. Like, we, we really believe in relational ministry. And, and I think for me, uh, it's, it's our focus as students that we believe that, that life change happens in the context of relationships. So, so I really do mean that I would love to come alongside you. Just a quick plug for student ministry on that. Um, there's been some recent research that actually shows in order for students to have a faith that lasts, they need five key relationships five relationships by the time they graduate high school. Ideally, two of those are mom and dad, right? Two of those are mom and dad. Maybe a close relative, like a grandparent or, or an uncle or somebody that, that, that's instrumental in their life. And then the, the fourth one could really be like a teacher or a coach or somebody that has helped them. But we, we're praying and we're hoping that that fifth one could be a small group leader. And I don't know if you know this, but we train and equip small group leaders to lead your students. So like we have maximum probably about 10 to 12 students per small group leader. And, and our hope is that they can be a person that they can go to in times of need as they're growing, as they're asking the big questions. We want to provide that for you. Okay, end of plug. Well, we are wrapping up our series uh, today that we're calling In the Middle. Uh, and if you're just checking this out, seeing it for the first time, I want you to know that we're talking about in the middle because Psalms is in the middle of the Bible, right? It's, it's in the middle of the Bible. And honestly, we're talking about what people are going through in the middle of whatever it is they're faced with. Like we're actually seeing the ups and downs as they process whatever they're going through. See, Psalms is actually a book full of prayers and praise to God. See, sometimes reading through Psalms, if I'm honest for me, sometimes reading through it can be a little frustrating because I never know when I start reading if it's gonna be like full of joy or full of sorrow. And I'm like, man, I really don't get it. But isn't life like that though? Like as we go through Psalms, as we process whatever we're going through, like if we were to write it down, we would see that in our own lives. I think that's what makes this book so beautiful. But we can't close out a series on Psalms without talking about worship. We're gonna be talking about worship. See, Psalms actually means songs, and it's a significant part of our Christian faith. See, the book of Psalms actually is, is 150 chapters long. It's the longest book in the Bible, and I think that's important to note because God wants us to hear it. It should be a big part of our life. The book of Psalms uh, is actually, uh, shows us the importance of worship in our lives. Singing songs of praise is an important part of the Christian faith. I think it takes up nearly half our service every week. Like what we do, we actually stand and sing songs together. So I think it's important to understand why we do it. And if I'm honest, like worship has played a major role in my faith journey. Uh, specifically worship music, music. I grew up in a church that I would say is more traditional style church. Uh, anybody else more traditional? Grew up more traditional? Yeah, a few people. Um, specifically, the worship music was a little different because we had a great church. We had a great pastor. Uh, I, I loved my church experience growing up. My family took up about half the church. And it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a small church. Anybody that knows me knows my mom had 14 siblings and we just like, we literally took up half the church. It was a great experience. But I'm fortunate to have been raised in a family where church was never an option. Like we never said, hey, what do you wanna do Sunday? Because we knew that Sunday was coming. We knew we were going to church 
so we would have what we called Sunday school, Sunday school at 10 a.m., followed by what we called a worship service at 11. And this worship service uh, usually consisted of one instrument, right, a piano, and one person on stage with a book, and they would sing songs of praise through hymns. And that guy with the book would stand up, and he would say, stand with me, and he would just move his hand back and forth, and we were just supposed to kind of follow his singing. So we'd all grab a hymnal, we'd start singing, we'd sing the first, second, and the last verse. Still not sure why we'd never sing the third <laughs> verse, but <clears throat> I'm not really, I'm not really sure what's up with that. But if I'm honest, singing worship was never, was never a joy for me. It never connected for me. And singing through hymns, it just didn't add up. So now that I've grown in my faith, I'll be honest, I look back at hymns and those, those lyrics are deeply personal for me. Like they are some, some very good lyrics that I would have, if I would have been in my faith at the time, then I would have been able to do that. But at that stage of my life, I, I don't know, it just didn't connect for me while we were singing Blessed Assurance or Victory in Jesus or songs like that because one, my faith was small. Like my faith was new. And two, it, it just didn't sound like anything else I'd ever heard in my life. Uh, if I can, like if you don't tell the pastor this, but we listen to Electric 102.7 in our vehicle. <laughs> Yeah, that, seriously, don't tell the pastor that. But we would, and we would, we would go to church, and I would leave, and we would turn on music from inspirational artists like Matchbox 20, <laughs> and, and people like Smash Mouth, and people like Chumbawamba, right? Come on, so I you've heard that before. But man, I love music in the 90s. Best music era, yeah, yeah. People my age say that probably. Uh, but we all have these different perspectives when it comes to worship. So what I had defined to worship in my head was anything but fun. I was one of those people that thought when I get to heaven, I'm just gonna have to stand and sing these songs of these hymns over and over and over. And it didn't sound very exciting to me. But then I think maybe at least I get to hear the third verse, everybody. Like maybe I'd hear it. That's reserved for heaven. But we all have these different perspectives and I'm glad that we can laugh about it because as we grow in our journey, we'll learn a little bit more and more and God doesn't give us all of it. As soon as we get saved, he doesn't just tell us everything. He doesn't reveal everything to us. So as we grow in our faith, we learn more and I'm hoping today, I wanna take some time to help clear up this subject of worship so that you can have a better understanding of why we want you to stand and sing with us on Sunday mornings. Like we, you can have a better understanding and why you should participate in it. So, in order to make sure that we're all on the same page, I wanna take a minute and just define it. Merriam-Webster actually defines worship this way. It says that worship is to honor or show reverence for as a divine being or a supernatural power. So for us as Christians, worship is for us to honor or show reverence for God. See, there are many ways that we can worship God. We worship him when we read his word. We worship him when we spend time with him in prayer. We worship him by living our lives in a way that glorifies him. We can worship him through giving. We can worship him through serving. There's honestly like endless ways that we can worship him, but there is one specific way in which God wants us to worship him that tends to be debated a little more than others. And that's the way that we sing praise and song to him. The instruments that we use can honestly be a little divisive in the church of today. So I know just in my personal journey, I've seen, I've seen churches split over the music, man. You put a set of drums on stage and it just changes. And I'm, I'm honest, because that, that has been a part of my life. So my hope is that today, this message can clear up a little bit of that for you. So I thought it'd be good if we started with some basic hand-raising techniques before we get into this. Uh, yeah, 
So the first one I brought here is the ninja. Now this, the ninja is for the guy who's just testing the waters, right? He, he's the guy that, that sees people around him throw their hands up at the first glimpse of a worship song, but he's not so sure about that. So he, he does this little slick move when he stands in worship where he just kind of puts his hands like they're in his pockets and he just flips them, right? He just flips them. <laughs> Nothing to see here, right? You can't see it from behind, like stealth move. The second one, the second one is the half and half. This, this is the guy, this is the one that like wants to worship emphatically with both hands, but they're not, they don't wanna be that guy, you know, they're not there yet. So they just kind of like casually lift one hand up, like float it in the air and the other hand's in their pocket, right? So this hand's like saying, yay, Jesus, and this hand's like, nothing to see here, move along, <laughs> right? The third one is the single hand salute. This one is kind of like the half and half. It's the cousin of the half and half, a little, but it's a little bit greater in its intensity, right? It's like something that you would reserve for like some type of military dignitary, like just like out like this. I think, I, think, I think I learned this move when I was learning In the Lord's Army now when I was growing up, right, that song. Uh, the fourth one is the tickler. Okay, now it's getting a little more serious. This is the one, that, the guy that stands up and, and he just puts both arms out like a T, right? Like there's nothing bad about it, it's beautiful, it's worship, but there's this problem that we're too close together. And ultimately he's gonna be lost in a moment of blissful worship and just tickle your back a little bit. That's all that's gonna happen. And the last one is my favorite. This is the YMCA. This is probably the most common hand raising technique. It's not complicated, much like the famous song, uh, but it leaves little doubt to what you're doing, right? It leaves little doubt to the folks around you that you're worshiping, right? It's big, it's beautiful, it's messy, and it's great. And those are the five different techniques that you can learn and take back with you. But honestly, I like that we can laugh a little bit about how we worship God in church, because we don't have to take ourselves too seriously. Like, we can laugh about that. See, praise and worship, praise and worship has been around since the beginning of time, right? There are many opinions on how we should do it. So this, there's no real revolutionary way to do it. So I wanna show you real quick what the Bible says, all the way back in Psalm 150. Psalm 150 says that we should praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him, now he's gonna talk about how. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp. Praise him with the lyre. Praise him with timbrel, and he said it, not me. Praise him with dancing. Next one. Praise him, it gets worse. Praise him with string and pipe. Praise him with a clash of cymbals, right? Don't just clash them, let them cymbals resound. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. See, I wanna share that because I think that this clearly shows that there hasn't been this recent change in how we should praise God. We should praise God with all that we have. Like, I know we all have different styles and different preferences, but the instruments are whatever we like most, but this is what praise should look like. Praise is an outward expression of a deep love that we have for God. This is the last Psalm that was written, and I think it gives us this clear picture of what praise should look like no matter what era we live in. But I think for a lot of us, praise and worship in the local church has seen a pretty, shift, pretty big shift recently, uh, especially in West Virginia, I know that's true. Uh, honestly, it looks a whole lot different at River Ridge than it does for the church I grew up in and maybe for churches that you guys have been to as well. Um, but for some of you, it's a welcome change. You're like me, this music sounds a little more like what I listen to, it's got a better beat to it, so therefore it becomes a little more impactful in your life because you wanna listen to it on the radio, you wanna listen to it when you're working out, you wanna listen to it in your quiet times. Um, but for others, it's not, it's just not as fun for you, it's more of a distraction, but wherever you are, that's okay. 
That's okay. I'm not going to say that there's a right or a wrong way that we should do it, but God just tells us to do it with everything. So no matter where you stand on the subject, I'm going to clarify some things today and hopefully give you a better picture what worship should look like in your lives and also why it looks. I'm going to talk a little detail about why it looks like it does here at River Ridge. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 145. Psalms 145. Uh, it's important to note that the most, um, most of the Psalms are prayers, and all, almost all the Psalms include some form of praise in the prayers, praise to God. So to help guide our conversations today, we're gonna to be looking at a Psalm of praise written by David. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and grab those out. We're gonna jump right in. Uh, the first verse that David writes in Psalm 145, he says, I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day, I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. See, David understood that his purpose was to praise God. Uh, many refer to David as a man after God's own heart. If you go back and look at the life of David, you can see it's in reference to he was just willing to do everything that God asked him to do, and he didn't always do it right. He messed up royally sometimes, but he, he praised God with all that he had. Um, David, and there's one passage where David danced before the king. like He danced before the Lord, and they're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, and he was just this unashamedly undignified dance before God. So I think what David understood, understood and what, what I want you to understand is the first thing that we were made to worship. We were made to worship, not like we were forced, but we were made, created to worship. See, as a human, I think uh, we were made for this one purpose. This, this is why everything that we do is some form of worship. From the beginning of creation, it's clear that our purpose is to honor God. Right, remember the definition, to honor or show reverence, to honor God, we were created to honor him. All the way back to Genesis, we can see that we were made for this purpose. I think it's interesting when you think about the difference between the words created and made. So just so we can show it up here, create is when you form something out of nothing, right? Just to create something. Uh, in the beginning, Psalm, uh, Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Like he just created it out of nothing. The second is to make and to make something is when you form something out of something, right? So he said in Genesis 1:26, let us make mankind in our own image, right? He made us. God, God wanted there to be a relationship between the thing that he made and the thing that made it, the thing that it came from. So if you think about this with a relationship with like dirt and vegetation, right? Genesis 1:11 says, then God said, let the land produce vegetation. There was a relationship between the dirt and the plants. Dirt provides the nourishment needed to grow seeds and sustain life. Then the plants grows and eventually a plant grows and does what? It dies, becomes the dirt, and then there's this cycle that repeats. God made it so that there's this relationship between the two of them. You can look at Adam and Eve. Genesis 2.22 says, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. Why did he do that? He could have just created a woman. No, God made a woman because he wanted there to be a relationship between the man and the woman. It's for this reason you become one flesh when you're married. And I know it may not be cool or hip to say, but I, I'm not saying it, it's just the Bible. This is what the Bible says, that God made it that way. I'm not giving my opinion, I just want you to hear that. Genesis 1.26 says, let us make mankind in our image. So we know that in the same way, our bodies were made by dust, right? We were made by dust, sustained by the dust, and one day we're gonna to return to dust. But man is not just one part. Man is dust, and it's also made by the breath 
of God. Our spirit was made by God, sustained by God, and will return to God someday. He wanted us, he wanted us to have a relationship with him. See, God, God created Eve so that man wouldn't be lonely, but God created man so that he wouldn't be lonely. We were made to worship him, it's our purpose. Number two, we worship him for who he is. For who he is. Psalm 145, back to our verse. Psalm 145, three says, great is the Lord and most worthy of our praise. His greatness no one can fathom. See, sometimes I think we just need to be reminded a little bit about how great God is and how he, how he has been great for us. See, when we've, we've been through this uh, series with students called I Wonder, and it's all about this mystery of loving God with your mind. And for me, th this happened when I was in college. I was learning greater and greater like versions of math and science. And, and as I learned more and more, it actually kept pointing me back to a creator. It kept pointing me back to God. And I had a professor that was really involved in the space race. Now I just aged myself. Like he, he was retiring, okay? He had been involved in the space race and he always told this joke about how like all the engineers, there's need for engineers, then all of a sudden they landed on the moon and now there's engineers driving taxis the next day. But he talked about how he was personally like just infatuated with, with space and wanted to learn more about it. And for me, he taught me so much about how planets move and how orbits and all this stuff. And every time I would just sit back there and wonder like, Wow, God, wow, like worship is our response to what we value most, right? See, Paul, Paul in his letter to the Romans talks about how they began to worship the creation instead of the creator. See, in Romans 125, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served created things, created things rather than the God who created them. See, having the right of understanding of who God is, Having this right understanding changes your perspective. And, and I wrote this down because I thought it would be interesting to share. Like, I don't know if you're like me, I just love looking at stars, space, like just wonder the James Webb telescope, what they're seeing now. And to me, it's just very exciting for me to see that stuff. And sometimes at night when I even walk the dogs out before bed, I'll look up and see the stars and it just makes me stop and just say, wow, God, like, wow, you made all of that. And I, I think about that. Uh, I think about how we're living on a planet. I wrote this down so I don't mess it up. We're living on a planet as if we're standing still, but in fact, the planet is spinning at 1,000 miles per hour and it's traveling at an orbit around the sun at a speed of 66,000 miles per hour or how the earth is located at a perfect distance of 93 million miles from the sun and tilted at a 23 and a half degree, uh, 20 and a half degrees so that the seasons are neither too hot nor too cold. And knowing that, I just stand there and look up and think, and you made me? Like, you made all that, and it was good, but then you still thought I was necessary? And I just feel so small, and my only response is to worship. His creation reminds me of how great he is. He is most worthy of our worship. Number three, we worship him for what he has done, for what he has done, Psalm 145, uh, verses four and five says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. See, we worship him for what he's done for us. 
This is, there's this interaction in the Bible uh, where, where this woman comes up and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. And, and the Pharisee who is hosting at the house uh, says to Jesus, like, if you knew how sinful this woman was touching you, like, if you were a prophet, you would know who she is. And I love Jesus' response. Just like always, Jesus doesn't give a direct response. He responds in a parable. And he tells this parable about two people who owed this debt uh, to a banker. One owed just a little bit of debt, and the other owed a large sum of debt. And then the banker came to them and said, no, you don't have to pay, that their debt was forgiven. And then he poses this question to the Pharisee. He says, which person will love the banker more? Well, obviously, the Pharisee says, the one who owed him a lot the most money, right? And Jesus says, well, the him, for him who has been forgiven little, loves little. But for him who has been given much, loves much. If we have the right perspective of how much God has forgiven us, then it changes our perspective on how we worship him. If you think about the words, uh, church words, we use a lot, mercy and grace, right? Mercy is compassion or forgiveness shown uh, to someone who deserves punishment. Grace is giving that person something they didn't deserve. So in his mercy, God gives us life. Not only that, he wants us to experience the fullness of life, um, so that he doesn't force us to love him because by definition, forced love, forced love is rape. And he doesn't do that. Instead, he allows us to choose. He gives us free will to choose. And I think it changes when someone chooses to love us. I think about these cultures where you're kind of just like given to someone in marriage and how different that would be. And I know for some people like going through singleness, you're like, man, wouldn't that be great? Like, just give me somebody. I don't care. I just need something. I wouldn't be lonely anymore. But honestly, think about when they choose you, it changes. He, ma he made the angels, like when we look at the creation, he made the angels and, and he, they worshiped him. That's what they were designed to do. But they didn't ever really choose that. So then he created us. He saw it necessary to make humans and give us free will to choose to worship him. I think it's just a little different when it's a choice that you made. See, worship is to honor and show reverence to God. To show reverence is a respect a deeply, that is deeply felt and outwardly demonstrated. It's more than just having the knowledge. It's expressing our love and our passion towards him. Now, I know that we all show emotion differently. I get it. All I ask is that you stay consistent. Just remain consistent. Like for me, if, you're, if I'm watching a sports game, like I may or may not have been doing yesterday, I get excited I scream at the TV. Uh, it's probably really embarrassing to be married to me when I'm actually in public in front of other people doing these things. Um, but for me, it's an emotion. It's a strong emotion for me. I get so hyped up at a game. But for me to be hyped up at a game, to be that excited about a sports team that doesn't even know me, yet remains silent for the God who made me, like, that's just not, that's not who I am. Just be consistent. All right, he made me, he forgave me. I'm not just gonna sit on my hands and say, yeah, that, God, that was great. No, I'm gonna clap, I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna worship him with all that I have because I just can't help but worship him. So when you realize what God has done for you, you have no choice but to show him how much you love him, how thankful you are for him. If it's inside of you, then it ultimately has to come out of you. And when I think about what he has done for me, my only response is worship. And number four, we worship him because worship changes everything. Worship changes everything. 
I think we can learn a lot from the Old Testament. The Old Testament is actually a pattern of life for us in the New Testament. Uh, it, it has a lot of good information about rhythms and routines and, and how we should worship. And there's this, there's this passage in Ezekiel where he's talking about the proper way to worship. In Ezekiel 46, 9, he says, when the people of the land come before the Lord at the appointed festivals, whoever enters by the north gate to worship is to go out the south gate. And whoever enters by the south gate is to go out the north gate. No one is to return through the gate by which they entered, but each is to go out the opposite gate. See, when we worship, there is a shift in perspective that happens. Like there's this shift from the way we view God in light of our problems. See, when we come to worship, I think of it this way, like there's this big problem and small God. And then as we begin to lift our praise and seeing this shift happen, something happens inside of us, it's a perspective change. That as we magnify God, our problems become smaller and God just becomes bigger and bigger. This is a process that happens when we choose to participate in worship. See, there's actually research done outside of Christianity, outside of our faith, that shows the benefits of spiritual singing. Spiritual singing actually has physical benefits to, to help lower levels anxiety, to help, uh, help us uh, as our bodies to heal. Like it's a healing mechanism. This is just looking at physical. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but there's a clear sequence in how we worship when we come into church each week. Like we follow a pattern that was established in the Old Testament. See, we always start, every time you come here on Sunday, songs aren't by random, we always start with a song of praise. Praise is horizontal. Praise is almost us like standing at a football game or standing at a sporting event, just celebrating the greatness of God. And, and sometimes I think it's almost as encouraging for the person beside of us as it is for God to hear it. Like we're just saying, man, isn't God great? Like we do that as we enter into worship and then as we, um, as we enter into the next song, our song talks about we go into this level of testimony. Right, we go into this level, what they call the inner courts. So here we sing about our testimony. We do it because it's biblical. Revelation twelve eleven says that they sang. Do I have that one? Revelation twelve eleven said they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The word of their testimony. See, believe it or not, there's a spiritual battle going on inside of each of us. And Satan, the one who, who we get to triumph over, who they triumphed over, hates it when we just say the name Jesus. Like just proclaiming Jesus has power. So whenever we sing about Jesus and what he has done for us, we need to stand up and sing about what he's done for our lives. It's how we overcome. So we go from this horizontal praise and worship and then we enter the inner courts to talk about testimony. And then last we go into the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament was reserved just for the high priest, right? When Jesus died, this veil was torn, symbolizing our ability to go in and to commune directly with God. See, this is where our worship goes from horizontal to vertical. We go from praising and singing about how good he is to God. You are my God, and thank you, God. We are communicating directly to God. This is what most people think of when they think of worship. But it's a process, all of it's worship. Hopefully that gives you a little better understanding of how we do that on Sundays. Um, it's important for you to understand that. I think I'll never forget the first Sunday that I experienced back in the room after COVID. Anybody else that first Sunday? Man, like after being away from it for so long, just coming back into the room, it just felt so much 
more different. And I know I've heard a lot of people say that too. And, and maybe for some of you watching online, it's just different when you're in the room, right? Right, everybody? I think we can celebrate that. I think it's different a little bit when you're in the room because we get to encourage one another, right? We, we get to celebrate God. We get to confess to God. We get to spend that time in our testimony. We get to overcome. And then we get to worship God. And corporate worship's just powerful. So now, what do we do with this, this information? What do we do with these four things? How can we apply it to our lives? Well, we're actually gonna end the service today in a song of worship. In just a minute, you're gonna have a chance. You're gonna have a chance to stand up and practice this before you go home today. And honestly, honestly, I'm gonna be a little upset if worship doesn't look a little bit different as we leave today. But that, it should look different because what? Because our perspective has changed, right? We've got a different perspective. But how do we do that next week? What about the week after? What can I do? You might ask, what can I do to prepare that each week? So I'm gonna give you three things real quick, three ways that you can enter into worship. Uh, the first one is to prepare for worship. Just prepare. And I know, I know this is true. Get, just getting to church on Sunday is a monumental task for a lot of people, all right? I have kids, I get it, I know how hard it is. You're yelling and screaming at your kids, we're going to church, right? We're, yeah, come on, we're gonna go praise God. And then, then you get here and you finally sit down just in time to hear the second or third song, wherever it is you come in, that's okay, we love you. But we come in here and we get to experience that. But I wanna challenge you, prepare yourself for worship. Don't just get your bodies here, actually take some time to prepare your spirit as well. How can you do that? Well, I think you can, you can pray before you get to church. Maybe as you're taking the exit ramp or as you're coming across the bridge, just say, God, God, meet me now. God, meet with me before I get into worship today. Second way that you can do it is you can choose to participate. Choose to participate. Maybe instead of being a spectator for the first time today, you can become a participant. Some of you, you need to step out of your comfort zone and actually sing the lyrics. Sing them, let them resound through your body. Let your body feel some of those healing benefits, some of that stuff that God provides. Stand and sing with us. Have you ever given it a chance? Maybe you need to hear this. It's okay to raise your hands in church. You don't have to be, the, ninja's okay, ninja's okay, you can do that. But God, like God loves it when we outwardly express to him. And honestly, like that's why we dim the lights. We want you to be able to worship God in your own way. And, and if you don't raise, it's okay to not raise your hands. I'm not saying you have to raise your hands. But I think however you do it, just be consistent. Just be consistent. If your team scores the winning touchdown and you're just like, man, that was, that was good, then that's fine. Just be consistent. If God meets you in the place and say, wow, God, that was, man, that was God, that was great. That's fine. Just be does everybody understand? You hear what I'm saying? Yeah, okay. If you ever wonder what I look like at a football game, just ask my wife. She'll, she'll be very embarrassed to tell you. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Number three is expect God to respond. So prepare for worship, choose to participate, and then have this expectation that God will respond. James 4.8 actually tells us this. James says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Worship is our response to what we value most. Everybody in here gives their energy, their time, their passion to something. God gives us this invitation. Just come near to God. Just come near to him and he will come near to you. Did you know that whatever you worship ultimately becomes an obsession? Do you know that? 
And whatever you obsess with, uh, you start to imitate. So whatever you become obsessed with, you imitate. And then whatever you imitate, ultimately, you become. So it's okay to be excited for anything. All God's saying is just, just don't put those above me, right? He tells us in the Ten Commandments, don't put any other gods before me. It's okay for you to express love and, and passion towards anything else in the world. God's just saying, hey, like, just give me a little bit of that too. Like, I want to experience, I want to be with you. I made you. Like, I'm made for relationship for you. He wants us to experience all that life has to offer, the fullness of life. He just wants us to choose him as well. So lean in today when we worship, lean in expectantly. Maybe God, maybe today for the first time, God will show up. Maybe one of the lyrics of the song will just hit you differently and and God will show up in a way that you never expected. Just expect him to respond. So now I'm gonna ask you all to stand with us and I'm gonna pray for us as we prepare for worship. I wanna invite you today though to sing along, choose to participate and expect God to show up. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity that we have, God, to come to your house, to worship you publicly, to gather together, Lord, may we never forsake this this assembly that we have just to come into your house and worship you. God, I pray today that you would meet each and every person in this room where they are today. God, that you would, you would show up in their lives in a new way as they choose to participate in worship, maybe for the first time. So God, we love you. God, thank you so much for meeting us here. Come on, let's worship. the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. Redeemed by His grace, love.
coming and join us. You guys have a great week. We'll see you right here next Sunday.